welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Superstars, and welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz, where we explore how language programs reality, along with social engineering, propaganda, cultural criticism, and oodles of empowerment tools to boost our sovereign agency. We're doing a solo podcast today, and we're going to go deeper into the language of betterarchy. We've been moving through the book in my group coaching collective, my group coaching tribe, and some interesting questions came up that inspired me to do today's podcast. So the basic allegation for my new book, The Language of Betterarchy, A Blueprint for Uniting Against Tyranny, is I'm taking issue with the allegation that patriarchy is the biggest problem, is the reason for everything terrible that's ever happened since the beginning of time, and that the quote-unquote solution for all of these patriarchal problems is to put marginalized groups on top, or formerly marginalized groups on top. Um, So we're talking about women, um, people of color, 
uh, gay people, trans people, differently able people, like whatever it is. And then the, the fiction that's being proposed is like, oh, let's just switch out the pieces of a broken game, make the losers winners and the winners losers and consider it fixed. Um, I don't really think that's a solution. So my book um, calls into question the larger meta structure, which is hierarchy, which I'm realizing is the through line to my entire body of work, question the construct. Always question the construct instead of having these conversations within the boundaries of the construct, just assuming that the construct is hunky-dory because our construct is certainly not hunky-dory given that our construct, AKA hierarchy, is an organizational structure that is dependent upon the losers for there to be winners. Hierarchy is defined by privilege by status, by an uneven playing field. And it seems to me that it's about time that we evolve out of this structure into something more life-affirming, more empowering, more inspiring, more abundant, more peaceful, like all the wonderful things that I think regardless of, you know, however we identify, right? Whether it's by politics or religion or culture or belief or sexual preference, I think we can all agree that it would be better for us to evolve into a societal structure that fostered empowerment, agency, creativity, um, autonomy, kindness, confidence, abundance, peace, all of these things. So, one of the first pieces where there was a little bit of pushback within my community because it's a beautifully diverse mix, uh, which is just so wonderful. But one of the places where I got pushback in terms of questioning hierarchy and this reorganizing the pieces of a broken game was someone was saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I think that black people have had it so hard that I'm willing to give them a pass and just throw them extra bones. Now, the person saying this, it was completely well-intended, right? This is someone with a very big heart. And uh, is it true that Black people have gotten a raw, raw deal in our country? Absolutely. No question. Um, are there other groups that have gotten raw deals? Sure. Are there groups that have gotten raw deals who aren't getting any of these kind of extra handouts or months named after them? Sure. I live in New Mexico and uh, I live really not that far from what used to be a Japanese internment camp during World War II. So look, none of this is to give it a pass, but it's just to point our attention to this kind of vulnerability, right? This chink in our collective evolutionary potential that is those of us who are falling for these tricks that the social engineers are attempting to foist upon us that has us feeling sorry for different groups and throwing different groups bones thinking mistakenly that we're helping those groups when in fact all we're doing is doubling down on the disempowerment doubling down on the inequities and seeding our future our collective future with more of the exact same inequities topped off with a, a whopping dollop of resentment uh from the other groups who aren't getting these special handouts right so I, I, I'm, I'm observing the urge to go deep into this and I'm just I'm just going to titrate. I'm just going to tiptoe and then I'm going to get us back on topic. But in terms of that resentment, like a we can see it in terms of anti-Semitism. Now, I do not think that um, the way that the ADL or the mainstream legacy media is using the phrase or the idea um, this weaponized anti-Semitism phrase, I don't, I'm not down with that, right? I'm not, I'm not buying into that, but notice the resentment that is bubbling forth and starting to reach, uh, you know, a, a crisis point around Americans wondering, well, why are we giving so much money to Israel? Why can't we criticize Israel in this country um, that's allegedly a constitutional republic that's allegedly protected by the First Amendment and freedom of speech and expression, right? Like, what is that about? It breeds this resentment. 
Um, we also see it happening in the LGBTQ PSYOP. Now, notice when I'm talking about the LGBTQ alphabet PSYOP, I'm not talking about gay people, right? I have no issue with gay people in general or and those who are be used, being used as pawns for this larger PSYOP. But notice how, I think it was in the 80s, that the rainbow, right, this universal meteorological event was gifted to the gay community. This is yours now, right? And notice the resentment and the pushback that that caused, subtle though it may be. Like, you can't take something that belongs to everyone and just take it away from everyone and say, now it belongs to this small group and think there's not going to be resentment. When I was a kid, rainbow shirts were a big deal. There was like this rainbow shirt and the, the rainbow went down the arm. These days, one goes out wearing a rainbow shirt and the automatic association is, oh, that's some sort of like gay activism thing. Now, again, like no ill will towards the gay community. I'm just pointing out the resentment that is fostered in the collective um, when certain groups are being privileged and certain groups are being given handouts. Um, aside from, which is getting us back to the main point, um, the messaging, the coding, and the disempowerment that is being thrust upon these groups that are allegedly being protected. So I want to break it down for us. So Part one of the book is all about the myth of patriarchy, right? And breaking down how this privileging is doing no one any favors. Part two of the book is how language functions to create reality. And, and this is the piece that's missing in terms of people who are misguided in their attempts to give handouts to groups that they have deemed lower than them, right? Playing that hierarchy game. Oh, you're a sad, pathetic woman. You're a little bit less capable than the rest of us. So I'm going to slap a women-owned business on your bakery in the hopes that that helps you make a living, you sad, pathetic, little loser-esque woman, right? But a big part, so I think the biggest you know, like the biggest barrier right now in terms of um, people who are mistakenly falling for this, oh, let's privilege certain groups, is that they they don't understand how language programs reality. And I'm thinking of a time when I was in Seattle to see a very, very special Sigaros concert. And, um, this was in 2019. So I was already shocked by like the vibe of Seattle and how, you know, cause I, I would usually go to the Pacific Northwest at least once a year. Right. So I saw the progression. It was always super liberal. It was always really into its identity politics, but in 2019, it all of a sudden became aggressive. Right. And it was being wielded like a weapon, like thrust in my face everywhere I went. And I felt so uncomfortable there. Like I'm just trying to mind my own business and have a good time and see cigarettes. So after the concert, I was backstage because um, my friend was friends with Yonzi and you know we're high like after a concert like that that's like super super special they passed out pop, pop rocks pop rocks were on every seat and there was a moment during the concert when i think it was alex pointed to the audience and everyone had the pop pop rocks in their mouth and they opened their mouths so it was this kind of like surround sound of these pop rocks on top of like the amazing music that was coming off of the stage like it was incredible and it made it this like beautiful shared experience where we were all contributing co-creating so i'm backstage after the concert and i'm talking to these two young women and they were asking what i do oh i'm a quantum languaging consultant well what does that mean well i teach people how language creates reality how language programs reality how to use language to empower ourselves etc cetera, etc cetera. so one of them says to me well that's all well and good, but you can't tell that to a black woman on welfare with six kids. And I was like, okay, first of all, my automatic association with black people, given that that's where she went, is not on welfare with six kids as a single mother. Like that is such a, a negative damaging stereotype that doesn't line up to my experience. Um, so I was like, oh, that's interesting that that's like the automatic association in this woman's mind, like how insanely disempowering, but I didn't speak to that. I said, well, 
you know, the, the forces of reality creation aren't biased in terms of who's had a suckier time. Like the laws of nature are the same across the board. So language is programming reality the same for all of us, whether we're disempowered victims, whether we're empowered reality creators, whether we're on top of the hierarchical food chain or whether we're on the bottom, they are all working the same. You can't negotiate with the laws of reality. I can't say to God like, hey, um, I know that when I say that women are less than, that those are disempowering languaging codes, but women have had a really hard time. So can you make an exception and change the laws of reality? Because these really are big fat victims who need a bone, right? It doesn't work like that. And when I explain to these women and I'm like, well, I would, I would share this with anyone of any race, of any class, of any circumstance, because this is a tool that's going to allow all of us to empower ourselves. And these girls got so triggered and so angry, they stormed out. And I was just like, wow, that is a, such a fascinating mind control when uh, you're backstage at a Cigarose concert. Like, why would you let me and what I do for a living get you so pissed off that you would exit a really fun gathering? Like, why would you do that? Who cares? Um, they were so triggered, right? And that's, Again, like we've talked about the way that mind control technology works and I'm still learning and I'm still learning how to hack it. But just think of of like using the name Trump in mixed company and watch people lose their marbles, right? Watch people like lose their emotional center and go totally cuckoo pants, right? Or mention the topic of abortion. Watch people go cuckoo pants. Mention, you know, what's going on in Israel, Gaza right now. Watch people completely lose it. So why are they losing it? They're losing it because whatever technology, whatever virus is embedded in these weaponized words, it attaches to our own unintegrated emotional trauma. So the emotional reactions that people are having when they're under mind control, those are real, right? They're acting out their unintegrated trauma. So the pain they're feeling, um, the fear, the anger, whatever it is, like that's very real. It's misplaced because it's now being, um, moved around and tethered to things that have nothing to do with their trauma. But when we're under that kind of mind control, we don't have access to our critical thinking faculties to realize like, oh, I'm not really mad that this woman is a quantum languaging consultant. I'm mad because, you know, my sister stole my record collection when I was a kid and my parents didn't have my back, right? Like there's no self-awareness in that type of mind control. But this is probably the biggest pushback that I get around my quantum languaging work is people and it's, I will say, in my experience, 100% of the time, 100% of the time, it's um, middle to upper middle class white people, right? And I don't like using that term, but people who are, I would say, occupying um, established roles of privilege in our hierarchical culture, who are freaking out by telling me that I'm wrong and some people need to be privileged, coddled, um, addressed as victims, and given extra extra support because they're so disempowered. And again, like at this stage of the, the, the ideological landscape, uh, the identitarian warfare landscape, I prefer to cozy up in the confines of my double X chromosomes because there is this ridiculous fiction that attempts to tell us that if I don't have melanated skin, then I can't talk about melanated people or melanated issues. If I am not uh, gay, then I can't talk about gay shit, right? Like it's it's this ridiculous fiction that alleges to remove our shared humanity and make it seem that like, if we're not all exactly the same, like if you are not a five foot four uh, Jewish ex gymnast with a giant gap between her teeth, then you have no right to talk to me about anything. <laughs> it's so freaking insane. What this leads into, and this is the question that kind of followed this pushback that I received 
in my group coaching program around, well, black people have have had it worse. So I throw them a bone and I, I give them lots of extra, I think they should get extra help. Um, I had someone else ask me, I didn't understand why in part two, you spoke about time and you were explaining what time is. And I was like, aha, like the bells went off. And it's the beauty of having this feedback now on the new book, because what I'm doing is so epically abstract, right? Deconstructing our language being the water in which we're all swimming. It's super helpful for me when I receive feedback on where the communication can be clearer. So this brings me to what we're going into today, but I'm going to pause for a little sip. I've been watching these videos by this speaking coach, not just because I get so many comments on how shrill and annoying my voice is, but because I'm aware of it and I would like to, to you know, I'm, I'm always on a learning path. I'm a big believer in Kaizen, incremental progress all the time. I used to be so paralyzed with fear of public speaking and podcasting that I would be shaking the whole time. So I give myself props for making headway there. Now's the point where I'm like, okay, now let's work on refining the voice. And part of what this speaking coach was saying was pauses, take pauses, slow it down. I'm, I'm kind of saying this to myself right now to remind me. Okay. So the time thing is crucial in understanding how language programs reality. I'm just grabbing the book so I can read you a little section. But it's crucial in understanding how language programs reality because we have all been fed a giant lie that, it, that tells us that time is this linear conveyor belt. And because of this lie, um, we're not understanding how our words are functioning to program the present moment and program the future because we've all been indoctrinated to think that we don't have any control over the future. We, we haven't understood how the words that we're speaking in our present moment are actually seeding the future. So because of this, I'm inspired to read us this little bit from, it's part two. Yes, it is part two of the book. Um, Despite all social engineering to the contrary, time isn't actually linear. From the train wreck that is the Gregorian calendar to the consistent and deafening narratives that seek to convince us that old is bad, young is supreme, time is perpetually scarce, and we are ever and always behind, our temporal indoctrination has the vast majority of us massively misinformed about this thing called time. Think about it. A calendar is a system that organizes time. Shouldn't a system that organizes anything be consistent, coherent, and easy to follow? Our calendar is a veritable clusterfuck of irregularity with some months clocking in at 30 days, some 31, not to mention the spazzy cross-eyed stepchild that is February with its nonsensical 28 days and that whole leap year that shows up every fourth sunspin. I mean, how does that make any logical sense whatsoever? To top it off, December is the 12th month, even though deck means 10, and October is the 10th month, even though oct means eight. How can we possibly be expected to come into a functional and harmonious relationship with time when the very system that organizes it is so janky and ass backwards? And I have this cute little illustration of a spazzy cross-eyed February calendar page. This is the upside of buying the print book for anyone who's listening on audio, the illustrations. Okay, carrying on. According to this long-standing cultural fiction, time operates much like a linear conveyor belt, moving us from past to future, birth to death, with a handful of noteworthy stops slash life events along the way. This distorted misunderstanding of our temporal organizing construct has folks waiting for things to materialize in 3D reality to feel like they have the right to language them in the here and now. 
This might be my favorite illustration of the bunch, my linear conveyor belt from birth to death with the notable stops along the way. The truth is that time is omnidirectional, multidimensional, and simultaneous. Past, future, and present exist concurrently now. This means that in a world of infinite possibility, when we hone in on a desire, a goal, a wish, or a dream, we are connecting to a reality that already exists on a parallel dimension. I invite you to pause for a moment to really let this sink in. Everything you want, you already have now on a different level of reality. This means that to materialize these desires in this reality construct, we must collapse the illusion of time and of future and claim said desires in the present moment. Now, there are a couple points laid in in this, and we're not going to go in order because it's Aquarius season, and that's how Aquarians like to roll. This tiny misunderstanding of time uh, has such a massive impact on how our reality construct is constructed. And yes, I did use the word construct twice and I don't feel great about it, but I'm gonna, just going to move us forward. So very often, the way that I, I see this weaponized against us is that the social engineers will talk about their nefarious plans um, in the this affirmative, like this will happen, this is happening. Um, you know, climate collapse is happening. The extinction event is happening. You know, as we become more and more automated when we have self-driving cars, right? So they speak about their nefarious plans using this technology, understanding that by speaking about their gross plans with definitive languaging, either in present moment, positive, this is happening, um, or future tense positive, like think when um, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe, the script on every news cycle was women will die, women will die, women will die. So why would you see it our reality construct with such a deleterious idea that women will die, right? With this like definitive um, we see this in terms of right now, civil war, World War Three, right? We see all this languaging, this definitive languaging. I see it among, um, you know, fellow truth tellers. Um, well, when they bring in the central bank digital currency, not like we understand that they have a desire to bring in a central bank digital currency, but we are shooting ourselves in the feet when we legitimize that nefarious agenda with any sort of affirmative declarations around it. We're giving it life. So here's how it works. The present moment is forged of all the words, thoughts, and deeds that came before it. The future is forged of all the words, thoughts, and deeds that we are enacting now in the present moment. So when I speak about women's disempowerment with any present moment languaging, I am A, affirming and empowering it in my reality and in my present moment, and I am seeding my future and our collective future with more of it. I am taking the gunk from the past and I am moving it into our future. So this is the reason why I will never and I'm not even a fan of absolutes, like never and always. And I will not affirm any identitarian disempowerment in the present moment, unless I'm some sort of like sadistic psychopath who wants to see the future with more of it, right? So when we talk about any group um, having a hard time being treated terribly, um, in present moment languaging, we are ensuring that that disempowerment, that that poor treatment is going to continue into the future because that's how our language functions. Again, 
This has nothing to do with my opinions on groups or how they're being treated. This has nothing to do with, you know, any sort of false equivalencies of like, well, then you hate gay people, then you're transphobic, then you're racist. Like, no, it really has nothing to do with that. It has to do with my clear understanding as to how language functions to program reality and my desire for reality to be equal and empowering and abundant and peaceful for everyone. So I'm not going to carry the past transgressions into the present or the future by using any languaging that puts them in the here and now. So this is why I do talk about time in the book, because I think to understand how our language is functioning to create reality, it's important to dismantle the myth of linear time and also to help us understand how every word matters you know it's my tagline and it's not just like this cutesy throwaway thing it's a a fundamental axiom of this reality construct every word truly does matter so instead of saying you know women have a raw deal I will say um I look forward to um seeing gender equality Uh, expand more and more, take a stronger and stronger foothold day to day, right? And I, I, I can't, let's see, did we speak about this last time? It's why we don't want to double down on the inequities that we have seen in the past or that we may even still see, because doubling down on them by giving voice to them and affirming them only ensures that they will continue, that they will be sustained and empowered. And that's not because it's not only because of the systems in play it's also because of how we are empowering and affirming the systems at play by affirming the inequities that they have created so again the upgrade is instead of talking about what isn't working what isn't fair we talk about what it looks like to work and how we're looking forward to that working we're talking about um a an adjustment in the fairness and how excited we are to see more and more of that and to live into that right because remember the subconscious mind is super literal right so when i talk about all the inequalities and all the unfairness my subconscious mind isn't doing any translating. It's not taking steps to be like, oh, well, she's talking about these things that suck, but I have a feeling she doesn't want them, so uh, I'll pretend like I'm not hearing them. No, we activate the frequencies of the disempowerment, of the unfairness by languaging them in the here and now, right? Um, and when we activate those frequencies, we're activating them in our own bodies, in our own personal reality constructs, and in our shared reality at large. What's wiser is to activate the frequencies of the up-leveled solutions, right? Not just because they feel better in our own bodies, but that's certainly part of it, but also because that's what we're putting into the larger reality creating mechanisms. We're putting in greater fairness, greater equality, um, more peace, more coherence, more harmony, right? So um, this is to hopefully dismantle the fictions around any, you know, well, well-meaning intentions informing identity politics, informing affirmative action, informing any privileging of any groups over any others. You know, there's a Tavistock, there's a, uh, excuse me, there's a document that I found, an article from decades ago that links Tavistock with the ADL. So for anyone who is not aware, Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, I believe it was called, was the first um, like propaganda organization we had. It was started in the UK, either in the late 1800s or the early 1900s. Um, Bernays um, had a lot to do with it. Uh, Freud had a lot to do with it. Like a, a lot of it had to do with mass psychology, right? And shaping mass perception, shaping public perception, which is what propaganda is. Tavistock was created 
um, to generate public consensus for World War One. So Tavistock gave us these these things like polls, like Gallup polls, right? Um, if you look into the history of polling and you look into how polls are used now, there's a lot of cherry picking going on, right? There's a lot of uh, manipulation going on. So I'll give you an example of, of how a poll can be um, slanted, right? So a poll will come out that says, you know, 89% of women polled uh, think Hillary Clinton legitimately won the presidency in 2016. Now, what they won't tell you is that 100% of the people polled had already um, had already revealed that they voted for Hillary, right? So it's not like a random sampling of women. It's like, oh, of, th of this 100 women who 100% of them voted for Hillary Clinton, 89% of them think she she won, right? So they'll they'll take these samplings um, that are slanted to begin with, but the way that they'll publish the poll, they won't let us know that. So the, these polls came out of Tavistock Institute. Tavistock is still working today. They, they mostly have their grubby hands. I mean, they're probably in everything, but in the activism space and in the pop culture space. Um, so, you know, music, lyrics, right? So many of the disempowering, demoralizing lyrics that we hear coming through pop music, a lot of that is coming through Tavistock. Um, you know, the women's movement, the LGBTQ movement, right? All of these are Tavistock operations. But I found this article that um, linked Tavistock to the ADL and how Tavistock worked with the ADL to create this program to go into Jewish schools and teach young Jewish children that um, the world hated them and that they would be should expect to be treated poorly by the world, to not be given a fair shake. Um, they should expect to be discriminated against. Now, from my perspective, this is child abuse, right? Um, it is so disempowering to tell a child, a young developing mind, which is basically like a sponge, that the world hates them and they're not gonna get a fair deal, right? That is programming children from an early age to play the hierarchy game, right? To play the game of privileging, to set themselves up with a bunch of armor, uh, with a chip on their shoulder, with a victim mentality, right? And we've, we've talked about there's no such thing as an empowered victim because victims are, um, and no one's really a victim, right? We're all human beings. Some of us are running victim consciousness. But when we're running victim consciousness, we're believing that we don't have any power to change our reality. The only way that we can transform ourselves and our reality is by taking 100% responsibility for ourselves and our reality. Victim consciousness, victim programming wants us to believe that we don't have the power to do that, that we're always going to get an unfair shake, you know, for the myriad reasons that people have been indoctrinated to buy into victim consciousness. So we can see this as a very early psyop to disempower young Jewish children, to have them believing that they were going to be discriminated against and treated as second class citizens, right? So this tactic has been used by the social engineers for decades, if not centuries. Oh, set people up to think that they're disempowered victims so that they will internalize that disempowerment and that victimhood not empower themselves and not take steps to change their lot, um, to empower themselves, to create reality as they choose. The social engineers don't want us to know this because they want us to buy into the fiction that says we're all victims to an unfair reality that's beyond our control, that we're so disempowered, that we have so little power over ourselves and our reality, we just have to inherit this like sucky default reality construct and like take the handouts that daddy government and its various social systems, um, which, you know, I, I would allege are enslavement systems, are set up so that we can just, you know, like get along surviving in our lackluster lives while like a select few get to really thrive and live the lives of their dreams because hierarchy, that's, that's the scam of hierarchy. And so 
knowing what I understand about how language programs reality, I'm not going to disempower myself by carrying any unfairness or suckiness from the past into my present, thus seeding my future with more of it. Instead, I'm going to look at like, mm, what lessons can I mine here? Where can I take responsibility? Where can I pivot, do things differently moving forward and um, empower myself more and more? with my words, with my choices, with my belief systems, with my framing, et cetera, et cetera. So let me pause for a moment, gather myself, take a sip. I'll be right back. Okay. So we're back in the language of betterarchy and I want to read you the last part of this section, just to tie it into a neat little bow. Reality creation is a two-way street. Okay, it's an interlapping omnisection of every which way, paths, portals, roads, alleys, thoroughfares, and wormholes, and you get the gist, yes? Reality creation isn't just about claiming or languaging the goals, visions, and experiences we are calling forth in the present moment. It's also about not summoning the things we reject, revile, regret, and aren't digging by empowering their isness in naming them. When we focus on a substandard status quo, we perpetuate that substandard status quo. When we habitually tell our sad victim stories, we program our reality to create more icky experiences with which to craft more sad victim stories. When we give voice to worst case scenarios and all the world's suckiness, we vote for the materialization of these worst case scenarios while sustaining suckiness the world over. To be clear, this is not to deny anyone's trauma, transgressions, plight, or suffering. It is simply to explain how language functions to perpetuate these experiences, energetics, and feelings, and to invite us to examine how we are perpetuating suckiness in our own reality constructs while encouraging us to switch it up. Change comes when we shift our attention from problems to solutions, from worst case scenarios to best possible outcomes. And we stay tenaciously focused on the solutions and the best possible outcomes and the up-leveled circumstances and reality constructs they portend with our every word, thought, and deed. So I wanna be clear. I totally understand the urge to use victim languaging to lament uh, the suckiness and unfairness of the world, to disasturbate, to complain, right? Like the reason why I focus so much on victim consciousness, on victim languaging is because I am in the process of of, um, evolving my own languaging patterns out of the tendencies of victimhood, right? I'm like the poster girl of, all the ways that victim languaging doesn't work because back when I was, you know, the hot shit nutter butter journalist writing for the LA weekly and a bunch of other magazines writing about, uh, you know, all the terrible things that happened to me, all the wacky corners into which I painted myself was this awesome literary technique that got me, um, you know, placement in a lot of great publications. But what it also did is it allowed me to paint myself into a corner called a lackluster life forged of scarcity and limiting beliefs that once I clued into it, took me a minute to get out of. I'm still languaging myself out of those habits and those belief systems that really weren't working for me because getting attention for all the reasons why we have a sucky lot doesn't translate to a better lot. That type of external validation, sure, it might be nifty for a quick dopamine hit, right? It might feel good in the moment to get that wide-eyed pity stamp, you know, pity look from the friend to whom I'm complaining or telling, you know, sob story X. 
But that wide-eyed look of pity does not translate into a life well-lived, does not translate into a fun life that I am proud of, does not translate into more abundance, more opportunity, greater impact, right? When I'm alone with myself, that pity does nothing. It does absolutely nothing except for legitimize and validate how sucky my lot is. But that sucky lot had nothing to do with what life was giving me. It only had to do with how I was choosing to talk about what life was giving me. Victimhood has nothing to do with what happened to us and everything to do with how we language what happened, period, period. Notice I'm removing the two us from the end of this fundamental axiom that I am encouraging you and me and all of us to embrace as a guiding principle. So I'm going to say it again. Victimhood has nothing to do with what happened to us and everything to do with how we language what happened, period. So one of the pieces of the book, and we will get way deeper into this in ensuing podcasts, is... um. I talk about the VLF, the victim languaging formula, right? And it's a shorthand way to notice one of the markers of victim languaging. There are many markers of victim languaging, but one of the markers of victim languaging is the VLF, victim languaging formula, which is um, something happened to us. Someone did something to us, right? There's no neutral languaging when it comes to victim framing. Victim framing is everything is happening to us. Things are are stacked against us, right? Um, with the VLF, the victim languaging formula, we are the center of everyone else's reality. And all of the things that in reality are just happening neutrally are happening to us with a negative bent, right? Um, so it's, you know, the, the person who misgendered me, it's not that they were ignorant. It's not that they're not used to using plural pronouns to indicate singular humans. It's that they, they don't like trans people. It's that they're homophobic. It's that they're pronoun phobic, right? It's that they, they don't respect me. They want to hurt me, right? Everything has to do with me, me, me when I'm running victim consciousness and using victim languaging. Reality is happening. It's neutral. It's not for us and it's not against us. It's just happening, simple. But when I decide to pervert the the neutral unfoldings of reality and with uh, my the narcissism that informs victimhood decide that things are happening to me, against me, cards are stacked against me, everyone hates me, et cetera, et cetera. Now I move out of that neutrality, which is the truth of how reality unfolds, to um, I'm the victim and everyone else is a perpetrator, right? That's my choice of languaging. Um, I'm trying, I'm thinking of an example here. Uh, you know, one that I like to use is he abandoned me. You know, like we went to the farmer's market together and Joe abandoned me. Did Joe abandon me or did Joe get a call from his wife that um, there was an emergency happening at home and so he chose to leave to handle it? Really didn't have anything to do with me, right? I have nothing to do with Joe's life and his comings and goings, right? But when I'm operating in victim consciousness by way of victim languaging, I'm going to say Joe abandoned me versus like Joe left and my own abandonment issues were triggered. Although I wouldn't even say that because I would dissuade all of us from linking the personal pronoun my with abandonment issues because that only creates a quantum entanglement that allows me to identify with the abandonment issues. I'm clearly still in the process of transmuting. I just gave you like 12 quantum languaging lessons in you know one little chunk. But all of this is to, to point our attention to how much our languaging has to do with sustaining these stories of inequity, imbalance, unfairness. Um, None of this is to say that the system is set up in a way that is any way equal, fair, empowering, life-affirming, which is why 
I wrote this book and why I'm proposing, hey, how about we evolve out of hierarchy altogether, right? How about we question that larger construct? Because when we're having these conversations within the confines of this outdated enslavement construct, um, we're not really going to make any headway in, in sustainable, real, the type of sustainable real deal change that I know that you and me and all of us want. If you're tuning into me, if you're listening to me, you know, on a podcast, on Progressive Radio Network, on, uh, you know, Odyssey or whatnot, then I'm pretty sure that you're with me in terms of having a genuine desire to see society and humanity transform into a more sustainable, empowering, equal solution. And I've noticed recently that when I say this um, on some podcasts that I get this pushback back, that when I'm saying equality, that I'm pushing for some DEI nonsense, that I'm pushing for equity. So let's get the record super straight. That's not what's happening here at all. I have no interest in equity. Equity is not possible in this realm. We all have different gifts and different strengths. Um, and I don't believe in like push, pushing forth some like uh, mediocritizing of our culture, of our people by like giving everyone partici participation awards. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is while we all have different strengths and gifts and we're all going to play out different roles in our culture, um, that they're valued equally, right? That um, the woman who just, you know, the woman who came over to help clean my house is not of any less value than of the doctor who I'm consulting with um, in in healing my knee injury, right? They they serve different functions in society, and that that's not going to be. We're not going to you know put the woman um, who's cleaning my house in an orthopedic office and say, and now you're a doctor. We're not going to do that. But we're saying there's no qualitative difference in their value as people. Um, and that's what I'm talking about when I mention equality, because I'm noticing that I'm being um, invited onto more and more like kind of Republican right wing podcasts. And I welcome that because I don't identify with any sides. Right. So I'm happy to talk to anyone. But I'm noticing this kind of knee jerk pushback when I mention equality and I'm not talking about equity like obviously. Um, I'm talking about let's value one another as equals um, instead of playing this hierarchy game where we're using language to put people beneath us um, or above us. And as far as wrapping up today's podcast, I'm, I feel like it's really, really helpful to understand I would say the fundamental truth of time, but in reality, I don't know that we can really understand the fundamental truth of truth about time in this third dimensional reality with our limited third dimensional faculties, right? Our five senses. Um, I don't think we're going to grok it because fourth, time is a fourth dimensional measure of synchronicity. Um, I don't think we could truly understand any fourth dimensional constructs with third dimensional tools, i.e. our brains <laughs> here in this reality. So you know, we're sniffing around it here. I'm kind of glancing at it out of the corner of my eye. I'm, I'm commenting on the shadow that it casts, but I'm not claiming to truly grok it. What I do know is that time is not linear, but the language that I am right now supporting us in evolving out of th this outdated hierarchical language is, um, foundationally constrained within the confines of a linear time fiction. And because so many of us, we, you know, were brought up speaking English, um, allowing English to shape our perceptions, our meaning-making faculties, all of those things, we've been entrained to speak, think, and program reality um, in alignment with the fiction of linear time. And this is working against us. So that's why in the section of my book, 
called how how language creates reality um i do have this section on time because i think unraveling that misconception really frees us up to start using language outside of the boundaries of linear time um which is more attuned with the truth of time um and thus allows us to use language to to really shift reality. If we're stapled to the fiction of linear time and that, you know, by association or I guess by inference, I don't have the right to claim anything in the here and now that I haven't yet seen materialize, then I'm going to be stuck. I'm going to be stuck in a lackluster status quo in perpetuity because the only way to get myself out of that status quo is to start attuning myself to the frequencies of the solution of the future into which I'm living into the up leveled iteration. And that is going to require me to summon the chutzpah and the courage to get out of the cozy confines of, oh, I can't language it in the here and now until I see it. No, we need to be bold. We need to claim the up-leveled realities um, that we're all visioning for ourselves in the here and now to collapse the distance, the to co co collapse the perceived distance between those futures and this now moment. Because as I said, time is omnidirectional and simultaneous. Anything that we want, envision, desire is in the here and now. So reality forged of empowered, autonomous, self-responsible humans who are living in harmony and peace and coherence and abundance together is in the here and now. But the only way I'm going to collapse that perceived distance is by speaking those frequencies with um, affirmative, positive, declarative languaging that pulls it into the here and now. Um, and so that means moving beyond the confines of this future tense languaging. It means moving beyond the addictive habit of complaining about the stuff in the past that hasn't worked, thus carrying it into our present moment and into our future and being bold and envisioning and imagining what the solutions look like, using language that connects us with those frequencies of those solutions, of those up-leveled iterations as a means of collapsing the perceived distance um, of future and present and bringing it into the here and now. The social engineers know this. This is why they language all the sucky stuff with definitive languaging, right? They'll you they'll color it with a lot of fear to generate fear in our own bodies, right? Frequency match for fear. So the more fear that we're generating, oh, the more fear that we're seeding our reality construct with. I really welcome your feedback on this one, because as I said, these are pretty heady abstractions that I am still in the process of learning how to translate into um, digestible morsels that, you know, that really, really land. So, um, you know, as all of this lands, let me know. As there's still holes in what I'm um, communicating, please let me know. There is, of course, this beautiful book that I wrote about the whole thing that I'm hoping, you know, is doing a much better job than a short podcast is doing um, in translating these more abstract constructs. Okay. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness. I'll see you on the flip side, fam. Have a rockin' day. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show, fam. If you are interested in tuning in to the post-show throwdown for my supporters, you can find that on Locals and Patreon. Um, both of those communities are where I post my second half conversations as well as my post-show throwdown bonus videos, which feature kind of spicier, <laughs> spicier content. Um, less digestible for the average listener, maybe a little bit more challenging to some worldviews, to some indoctrination, to established means of thinking. So that's dannycats.locals.com as well as patreon.com slash dannycats. As well, I am thrilled to announce 
that pop propaganda, the digital course for teens and grownups is now available um, for instant instant access, lifetime access. You can find that at poppropaganda.com. Um, of course, you can find it on my website, dannycats.com, where I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's the very best way to ensure that we stay in touch amidst so much um, thought policing, censorship, suppression, et cetera, et cetera. You can follow me on Instagram at something Danny, and if you want to learn more about coaching with me, um, quantum languaging consulting for you as an individual for your organization, you can find more information about that at quantumlanguaging.com. All right, I think that does it for housekeeping. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for remembering that every word matters, that you are omniscopic amazingness. Have a rocking day. And for. <laughs> Clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging coaching and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo, where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.